Maybe, maybe not. Here we go, here we go. For 18 years I have traveled. For 18 years I have crisscrossed the earth. With one purpose in mind, and that is to reach those that have never been reached. The demands of the Great Commission has caused the doors of over 41 nations to open up unto us for the proclamation of the gospel. Some people are more easily accessible than others. Some countries are easier to enter. Some countries don't want you there at all. These are the countries with the greatest need of the gospel. In December of 2018, I ventured deep into the war-torn country of the Democratic Republic of Congo. 16 hours by vehicle through the deepest, darkest jungle I've ever seen in my life, only to be welcomed by thousands of people hungry for truth. 16 hours in, 16 hours out. Danger, ambush, machine guns, war. There just has to be a better way in. In February 2022, I set out determined to change the way I was able to reach people with the gospel, no matter how remote they were. I spent hundreds of hours studying, preparing, taking tests, trying to wrap my mind around the world of aviation to figure out how I could use aviation on the mission field. In the midst of that time, I spent countless hours training in the deserts of Nevada, flying from there all over the western United States. Finally, I finished my training here at home in East Tennessee. On December 12, 2022, I passed my check ride for my private pilot's license. VUHM finally has its wings, and those far and distant unreached countries have just become that much closer. I'm excited to see how the Lord is going to use the world of aviation to help us reach people that have never heard the gospel. Thank you for continuing to join us in this incredible journey as we bring the gospel to the whole world. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So good to be at Grace Meadows tonight. Amen. It's wonderful to be here. I think it's been a few months. I think the last time I was here was September-ish, I believe. And uh, a lot has happened since then. I've uh, been to Kenya and Turkey and Egypt and Canada and just returned home. And in a few weeks, I'll be going to... Actually, next week, I'll be in Texas. And then March the 1st, I go to Guatemala. So, whew, it's, uh, it's been an incredible run. Uh, but over the last, as I just shared that video, um, the last several years of, um, of just ministry itself, the Lord began to just direct my steps towards the, the I guess, the harder, reach, harder to reach peoples. And that's really been my heart for, for many years. And traveling into Congo in 2018 was uh, very, very difficult. Um, but uh, now, hopefully, it won't be as difficult. Amen. Uh, we're in the process of working out the logistics of transitioning our, 
or my, pilot, my pilot's license uh, in the nation of Kenya. I can get it in Kenya and South Africa, and those licenses carry over into a, a lot of the other um, countries in Africa. So I'm just, I'm excited to go flying for Jesus. Amen. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, do, does any of you own a cell phone? I mean, this is my cell phone. Do you own one? If you do, I want you to take it out for just a minute. Uh, we've also changed the way that we report. One thing that I've always been um, uh, an avid, I guess, supporter of, and I've, I've said this many times over, that if there is no report, there ain't no support, you know? And so uh, we've changed the way that we, have, we send out uh, reports, and that's based through a text-based system, and I'm not going to blow your phone up at all. It's like once a month that we'll send you a report of what's going on. If you've got your phone, text the number uh, 26989, and in the, in the subject or in the actual place where you put text, just text VOHM, and it'll prompt a link, and you can just sign up at the bottom for uh, just to receive text updates from us, and that way you can keep you know, abreast of what's going on with the ministry. The Lord has opened a perpetual door, many doors in the world. I just came out of the nation of Turkey, and I can't really talk about that online, so uh, I will send out a, a text update about it, but the Lord's just opened a, an incredible door into this Islamic nation, and uh, uh, it's just, I'm really, really excited about what the Lord's going to do. Um, yeah, sure, it is 26989, and just the, the letters of the ministry, V-O-H-M, Vessel of Honor Ministries, so... Um, and it should. Anybody get the response? Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, that way you can just stay in, in touch with us. And uh, I just can't thank you enough uh, for the years of support. You guys have just, if you don't know me, if you're, this is your first time here, maybe first time seeing me, um, Grace Meadows has supported us for years. And we would not be where we are if it was not for this church. You don't know how, how heavy of a blessing you are in my life. And it's always a joy getting to come to speak uh, at the church and uh, excited that you guys finally got some new pastors. Amen. <laughs> praise God. Excited to get to meet or get to know Dallas and his wife. And, uh, but praise the Lord. Just so, so good to be here. I want you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles if you have one. And we're going to go to the book of Jude. There's no chapters in Jude, just really one chapter. And, you know, as I don't know about you, but I, I, I sense in my spirit that we live in a, in a strange age, somebody say amen. In the last hundred years, and I'm, a, I'm not going to bore you here, but in the last 100 years, things have drastically changed uh, the way that we live, the way things are, go on in the earth, uh, technology itself, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard all of the statistics of how drastic our, our systems are and how different life is, even from 20 years ago. 30 years ago, just completely different the way things are done. And as I've traveled the world, the Lord has just really arrested me with the understanding that Christ is coming. Amen? Anybody believe in the second coming of Jesus? It's a cardinal doctrine of the church, and I believe that Christ is soon coming. 
with all of my heart. I believe that as I've traveled and I've, you know, you, you watch and witness different government systems and the way that different nations are run, but even the way that this nation is being run right now. As I see things on the forefront, I know that uh, where my hope is, my hope is not in this world, my hope is in Christ, amen? And he gave us that great proclamation that he's coming, he is coming. And so Jude, the 14th verse of the book of Jude, I'm going to read this uh, let me see if I can, I've got it here in ESV. It says, it was also about, about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. I want you to think about that. Enoch, the seventh one that was born from Adam, prophesied these words. And it says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones or his saints to execute judgment on all, on all and to convict all the ungodly of their, of their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jude, I mean, thousands of years ago, sees the end times, sees the days that we live. And he says, behold, the king is coming. Somebody say, the king is coming. And tell him we're not talking about Elvis either. <laughs> the king is coming. Jesus is coming. And this just gives me such courage to live in this generation to know that my hope is not here. My, my, my faith, my trust is not in these systems that men have made, but my faith and my hope and my trust is built in Christ and Christ alone in His kingdom. I want to give you a definition of the word come. It's an intransitive verb, and it means to physically move, to physically move or journey to a vicinity with a specified purpose. It's not a, a spiritual thing or spiritual coming because I've heard, I've heard a lot of different arguments about the second coming of Christ, that it's a spiritual kind of thing when you become born again, that Jesus comes into your heart and that's the end of it. But I believe that Jesus is going to come the same way he went, amen? Jesus is going to come back for us and I'm looking for that coming. Uh, there's just a few points I'm going to make tonight. The first one is establishing the first coming and then defining the second coming. There's a great confusion when we think about the second coming of Christ. And I don't know when the last time you've heard a message based in eschatology or based in end time events, but I'm going there tonight, so I hope you're ready. Amen. Praise God. I've kind of just been in this mode for several months now as the Lord has just refreshed all of this to my mind. But the, So the first, the first point, establishing His first coming and then defining what His second coming is going to look like. The second point I, I will quickly move through is the promises that were made about His coming. We'll base it in Scripture. And then finally, what is it going to be like when He comes? I don't know if I can rocket through this in 20 minutes, but we're going to try, Dallas. Let's go. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this great privilege, oh God, that we have to be together as a body. I thank you, Lord, for the faith that I feel in this house. Thank you, Jesus, for all of these that gather on Wednesday night, mid-service, to hear your word and to be fed by your word. I pray, God, that your word would be living and fresh, manna from heaven, oh God, that we would feast upon it tonight and then tomorrow until Sunday. God, may we be feasting on your word. We ask you, Lord, that you'd be with us. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear and a mouth to speak in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Have any of you heard of a man by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte? I'm not talking about Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Bonaparte, that French revolutionist. And as I've studied and scoured through history, you find snippets of uh, what, what people have said about Christ. 
and I stumbled across this, and it was so profound, i got to bring it to you tonight. Jesus, uh, or Napoleon, this is what he said in statements about Christ. In a statement about Jesus Christ, Napoleon, while he was exiled on the rock of St. Helena, he called to Count uh, Montholon to his side. He said, Count Montholon, come here. And he asked him this question. He said, can you tell me who Jesus Christ was? Upon the count declining to respond, Napoleon countered, well then, I will tell you, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of our genius depend? It depended upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature. Napoleon said, and I tell you, all of these were men, and I am a man. None else is like him. Jesus Christ was more than a man. I have inspired multitudes with such enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me, but to do this, it was necessary that I should be visibly present with the electric influence of my looks, my words, my, of my voice. And when I saw men and spoke to them, it lighted up the flame of self-devotion in their hearts. Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man towards the unseen that it becomes insensible to the barriers of time and the barriers of space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which a philosopher may ask, may often seek in vain at the hands of his friends, or of a father to, of his children, or of a bride, her spouse, or a man, his brother. He asks for the human heart he asks for the human heart. He will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally, and forthwith his demand is granted. Wonderful. In defiance of time and space, Napoleon said, the soul of man with all of its powers and faculties become an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe in him experience that remarkable supernatural love towards him. This phenomenon is unaccountable it is altogether beyond the scope of man's creative powers. Time, the great destroyer, is powerless to extinguish this sacred flame. Time can neither exhaust its strength nor put it a limit to its range. This, hear me now, is it which strikes me most. I have often thought of it. This is which proves to me quite convincingly, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Regardless of what men believe or men think, Jesus lived and walked the earth, right? He came. He was here. History is wrought with the testimony and the stories of Christ alive in men's hearts from the time of the crucifixion all the way till tonight, 2023. What day is it? I don't even know what week it is. <laughs> uh, Yes, all the way till tonight, we feel that living, vibrant flame of Christ in our hearts. He lives in me. He lives in me. People think I'm nuts. Praise God. <laughs> but he lives. He lives in me. 
And so let's establish the first. Without question, there's no fact in history more clearly established than the first coming of Christ. From Josephus to Napoleon and Herod to Hitler, his influence and his attract or has attracted both admir- admiration and animosity. They've, there's people that have adored him, and there's been other people that have absolutely detested the name of Christ. This generation has wrapped up the remembrance of the birth of our Lord in consumerism, selfishness, and personal gain. What is that season we just came through? Christmas. What is it all about? It's about gain. It's about what we can buy. We buy stuff for people we don't even like to try to impress people we don't even know. You know? That's kind of the way it is. We wrapped up that whole birth of Christ in consumerism and and selfishness and personal gain. But yet the historical record stands the test of time and nothing will ever erase the fact that the Son of God came wrapped in human flesh in abject poverty and obscurity as the Savior of mankind. It doesn't matter how many eons go on and on, how many years go on. Jesus Christ, the fact that He came is forever etched in history in the in the stone or the granite of history. He came, amen? As one man said, when Christ came to die, he stripped himself of, think about this, when Jesus came to the earth, he stripped himself of every individuating note, everything that would distinguish him from anyone else, all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his power. He stripped himself of all of those things and cast himself into abject poverty. Why did he do that? So that he could identify with all men. All men on the earth can identify with his person because he's been where they have been. He was born in abject poverty. You would think that if a king was going to come, surely he would be born in a palace to a, to a, you know, a prince, to a, 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 like a son of a king. Surely he would be born to great wealth, but no. All other religions are sunshine religions. They're all right for happy, prosperous days. But Christ brought the only mode of faith in the world that began with defeat and with an, with an ignominious failure, therefore adversity, and he came out of it all by resurrection because he was God. Let's continue. He did not come the first time. He did not come the first time for glory, power, and might. Let's establish it now. He didn't come that first time when he came for glory, power, and might. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verses 10 through 11 that the prophets did not know how to separate Christ's suffering from his glory. Okay? If you read the Old Testament, they did not know how to differentiate what Isaiah 53 was all about. Anyone remember what Isaiah 53 was about? That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You remember that scripture verse? And the prophets could not understand how it was that their their Messiah, who is this person in Isaiah 53? Who is he? Surely can't be our Messiah. He's going to come in triumphant triumphant reign. He's going to come and rule. That's what they thought. He's going to come and rule. They, They knew him only by way of a crown. But they failed to see the necessity of the cross. They did not understand why the Messiah had to come to die. They didn't understand it at all. Though the language was there from the very beginning. You remember? In Genesis chapter 3 verses 15, the Bible says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head. That word bruise is crush. He will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. 
Do you remember that? He's talking about, he was talking to Satan that you're going to bruise the heel of Jesus, but he's going to crush your head. That's what's going to happen. And it was written from the very beginning. Follow me now. I'm going somewhere tonight. It's going to get good here in about five minutes. <laughs> he said, he's going he's to crush your head, but they couldn't see it, Dallas. They could, they could not see that Jesus had to suffer or the Messiah had to suffer. The prophet Isaiah clearly saw him as the Lamb of God, but that did not fit the narrative that they desired. They wanted a king. They wanted somebody to alleviate the burden of Rome. Rome came in and took over Israel and began to tax them in their own land. And they said, no way. It'd be like if China came in here and started taxing us and taking all of our wealth away. I'm sure many of us would get our guns ready. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. How could it be that a king would suffer? They couldn't understand Isaiah 53. They rejected the idea of a kingdom built in the hearts of men instead of brick and mortar, might and manpower. That's what they wanted. They wanted the glory of Israel back in, in Israel again. They wanted a, 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 a militant leader. And they saw Jesus over here saying that he's the son of God and they said, no way, that can't be him. What they failed to see was that Christ's earthly coming wasn't a single solitary event, but two separate advents. Follow me. Two different advents that he was going to fulfill, that he had to fulfill. The first advent was that in which he came wrapped in, in swaddling clothes as a babe in a manger. But he's coming back the second time. And I'm going to get there in just a moment. The first time he came as a baby in meekness, weakness, and obscurity. That's what he came. Nobody knew of his coming. Nobody, barely anybody knew that, that this son of God was coming. Just the shepherds in the field. And a few wise men a little, a little while later. And the angels that lit up the night sky, they knew. But very few knew that he was, uh, he was uh, going to arrive. But the next time he will come, he's going to come in glory, in power, to assert his will over the whole earth. That's what's going to happen when he comes. We've got an idea in our minds that, when, that Christ is some kind of soft, effeminate man. This generation has kind of painted that in our minds, but I'm going to hopefully in time show you what it's actually going to look like. Because I can tell you right now, Jesus is every bit of man. Amen? Very few bowed before him at his first coming. Very few. Just a few shepherds that came out of the field and found that star over, over top of that little manger. And they bowed their knees to him. And then, then you know, a couple years later, it was actually like when he was a toddler, the wise men came. A lot of people think that it was all at one time and it wasn't. The wise men came when he was just about two years old and they laid gifts at his feet. Very few people bowed their knees to Jesus when he came the first time. But Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 states, uh, yeah, verses 10 and 11 states that every knee, when he comes again, that every knee is going to bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things underneath the earth. My God, I wish I had an hour. I'd just talk about this tonight. Think about that. Every knee, that's every angel in heaven. Everything in the earth, everything on the earth, that's all you and I. Everything under the earth, every demonic force that ever was is going to bow their knee at the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? He's still ruler. He still sits supreme on the throne of God. Amen? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
At his first coming, the door of the inn was shut in his face. They said, ain't no room here. The Bible says, for his second coming, we read of a door opened in heaven. Revelations chapter 19, verses 11. This is what it says, and I saw heaven. John, when he was on the island of Patmos, he said, I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, with justice and, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. With justice he makes war. He's going to stand there in heaven. There ain't no door that's going to shut him out, folks. When he comes, he's going to come in all majesty and all strength and all power. His first coming was shrouded in secrecy. Very few knew of his arrival. But when he returns, everyone will know. Everybody on the planet is going to know. Think about that. Everyone's going to know. The Bible says that every eye will see him and recognize him as the one that they pierced in the book of Revelation and all the earth. The Bible says that the whole earth is going to mourn because of him. It's going to mourn. Why? Because the church is not going to be here. I wish I had the time to go into this tonight. But the church is not going to be here. So many people think the second coming of Christ, you know, we are watching and waiting. But the, the Bible makes it plain that the rapture of the church is going to happen first, and we are going to get out of here, right? I ain't staying in the tribulation. I don't know about you. <laughs> we're going to get out of here, but we're going to come back with him. The Bible says that the whole earth is going to mourn because of him, because he comes to judge. Think about that. When he, came, when he first came, he came to suffer for the sin of the world. He was mistreated. He was humiliated. He was rejected. But when he returns, he will come as judge to pass judgment on all those that rejected him. That's what the Bible says. When he comes the second time, he's going to come to pass judgment on the whole earth. He came first in great humility as a suffering servant, but he will return as the commander-in-chief of the greatest army that has ever existed in the history of the earth. When he comes, it's not going to be in humility. It'll be in strength and it'll be in power. Amen. He came first to wear a crown of thorns, but when he returns, he will wear a crown of power and a crown of glory. He will come and wear a crown of glory. When he first came, he identified and allowed the mixing of sheep and goats, wheat and tares. But when he returns, the Bible says that there will be a great dividing. He's going to separate nation from nations. He's going to separate peoples. There will be a great revealing, a great dividing, a moment when the false are revealed and cast aside. During his first advent, he came not to settle the problems of government. We got any problems in government? Do we? Yeah, we got, we got them. He didn't come to solve the problems of government, but he came to solve the problem of sin. That's why he came. It wasn't yet time for him to solve the problems of government, but that's coming. The Bible says that when he comes, and so many people think that when we get to heaven, you know, we're just going to be plucking harps and floating on clouds, eating Philadelphia cream cheese, you know? I'll never forget a commercial when I was a kid. <laughs> Anyways, I won't get into it. <laughs> but that ain't heaven. That might be what you want heaven to be like, but that's not what heaven's going to be like. The Bible says that in, in heaven, when we get to heaven, we'll rule and reign with him. For a thousand years, it's about, the Bible makes it plain. We will rule and we will reign with Christ. Where? Where are we going to be? That's right. 
will be right here. You mean on the right here in, in Johnson City? In Jonesboro? Absolutely. A thousand years, the Bible says that we will rule and reign with Christ on this planet. Before the, the final end comes, he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. And what's amazing to me to think about when all that takes place, as I've just been digging all this stuff up, is the fact that there will be mortal men still living and will be immortal. And people will come up to us and say, what was it like? What was, what was the world like before? Before Christ came to establish his kingdom, what was all of it like? You were one of those that made it through. Follow me now. He first came in, in meekness, but when he returns, he will take the reins of all government. That's what I said. When he came the first time, he didn't come to solve the problems of government. He came to solve the problem of sin. But the next time he comes, he's going to take the reins of all governments. The Bible says he's going to set up his rule in Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and it's going to sit there for a thousand years and he'll rule and reign. The Bible says it's, this, it's a city in which no light dwells because he's the light. He's the light. Think about that. He, when, he, when he came the first time, he established, he, he established peace on the earth between God and men. Upon his return, his policy will not to be bring, not, not to, be to bring peace, but it will be to bring war until the re rebellion of the wicked is crushed under his feet. He first came as the savior of the world, but when he returns, it will be to rule as the king of kings and the sovereign Lord. That's what it's going to be when he returns. He will be king of kings and Lord of lords. The promise of his coming, I'm going to zip through this real fast. While Jesus was here during his first advent, out of his own mouth, he said this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 27, for the Son of Man shall come. Everybody say, shall come. He said, I'm going to come in the glory of my Father with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have according to his works. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 32. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from the other as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. The angels also confirmed his words in Acts chapter 1, verses number 10. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as they went up, behold, two men stopped by them in white apparel, two angels, which said, you, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, this same Christ, not a spirit of him, not just some phantom image of him, but the same Christ, the same Christ will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. I don't know about you, but I don't believe a lot of the records that men have given, but I believe the record that God gave. I believe the word of God. And I believe that the Bible says he's going to come just like he went. And I'm going to be waiting for him. Amen? You know, when I, I begin to think about all things concerning the end time, there's something great that comes over me. It's a sense of peace a sense of hope, because we, we live in an age that is so full of trouble, an age so full of turmoil, 
the last few years have been just kind of turned on its head, and finally we're starting to see a little bit of normalcy, a little bit. Nations are finally starting to open. I'm going to Guatemala March the 1st because it's the first time I can get back in since they shut everything down in the world. And things are finally starting to maybe shake out a little bit, but I, I don't know, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. But it doesn't matter what happens here. It doesn't matter. My, my faith and my hope and my trust is in Christ. Amen? And if you place your faith and your hope and your trust in the Son of God, the world can burn and everything around us can fall apart. But my world doesn't fall apart. Amen? That, that, that hope that we have in Christ doesn't fall apart. The apostles also echoed and resounded his second coming. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20, I'll just read this. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to change our bodies. That's where our hope is. It's in Christ. There's a scripture in Psalms that says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong in battle. Lift up your heads. Oh, you gates, be lifted up, your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. He is the King of glory. We don't serve a dead God, people. We don't serve a defeated Christ. We serve a God that's on His throne, that is all-powerful, that's magnificent, that's never, ever usurped or allowed His power to be usurped by anyone. He's in control of all things. Amen? Praise God. John said in 1 John, as I bring this to a close, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 28, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have, or we may be what? Confident and unashamed before Him that is coming. I grew up in northern Alberta, Canada, and whew, winters were really long and cold. <laughs> and my, my dad, I'll never forget this, uh, all through my teenage years, you know, it's snow all the time, and thank God I live in East Tennessee where it snows and it melts, but the snow stays where I grew up. And my dad, before we le he would go to work in the morning, would always tell me if it was snowing, Stephen, make sure that the, this, the deck is shoveled. Make sure that the, there's no snow left on the deck. Because if it is, the weight of the snow will begin to, you know, put stress on the structure. And then if it's left there, it starts to melt and freeze and melt and freeze. The wood will begin to rot. So make sure that the deck is shoveled. And, you know, I just loved shoveling snow. Not really. And, you know, I, I it, was, it was like... Our deck was like 60 feet long. It was ridiculous. By like 15 feet wide, you know? So it took me like two and a half hours. And I remember, if my dad told me that, if I, when I got home, if I remembered to shovel the deck, if I remembered to do what I was asked to do, you know, I'd get out there before, as soon as I get off the school bus, and in the middle of the winter, it is, we, have, we had daylight from 8 a.m., 
and it was pitch black by 4 p.m., black. And we would get off the bus. I lived an hour outside of town. We'd get off the bus, or an hour from school, and get off the bus at 4, so it would be pitch black. I'd turn the lights on to shovel the deck at 4 o'clock. I'd shovel the deck, you know. But when I, when I finished, my dad wouldn't get home till like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. But when I finished, there was confidence. There was confidence. I, I, I did what he asked me to do. I'm I'm ready, you know, if he walks through the door and he would come through the door, you know, I'd be standing there just waiting because I I knew I was ready. He'd walk through the door and he'd say, boy, I see, shovel that deck, appreciate that. But there was times that I'd get off that bus and I'd let it slip my mind or I'd forget. And boy, would I ever be ashamed when my father would step through the door and he'd look at me and say, son, why didn't you? Do what I asked you to do. John said, little children, abide in him. Abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence before him and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let's walk in him, live in him, abide in him because he's coming. Amen? Regardless of what anybody says, Christ is coming. Revelations chapter 1 verses 7 Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. What is it going to be like when Jesus comes? What's, what's he going to look like? Let me read this in closing. Musicians, if you'd return. So often we, we've allowed our culture to paint in our mind's eye an image of Christ, what we really think that he, he looks like, and there's there's this idea that Jesus, you know, is almost unbalanced. Our generation has produced an unbalanced Christ. He's all grace and no justice. It's just all love and there's no discipline, but that's not the New Testament Christ at all. And when you think about Him, and I think about Him, and I love to be with Him, I talk to him every single day, and when I think about the Lord as what it's depicted in the book of Revelations, let's go to Revelations chapter 19. We'll close with this. Verses 11. John, this is John on the island of Patmos. I know I could preach this all night long. And I saw heaven opened. Let me read it from here. And there before me was a white horse whose rider was, is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and he wages war. Next verse. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. Next verse, clean and white. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Verses 16. And we'll close there. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Don't let our culture depict an image, a weak image, 
of Christ. When he comes, it will be that Christ that we will see. It will not be a weak, ephemeral, effeminate man, but a man that comes to rule. And the great part about this is we will be with him when he comes. We're not going to behold him like this when he comes, because the Bible says he's coming to smite the nations. No. We will come with him. He's coming with ten thousands of his saints. So we will be with him to come on the earth to rule and reign with him. Would you stand with me tonight? I believe more than ever in this last generation, I, I believe with all of my heart and all of the eschatology I've studied and all of the un, end time thought between amillennialists and postmillennialists and premillennialists and all these other ists, without any question and without any doubt, I believe with great conviction that we are in the final closing hours. I believe that. All of the things that are going on in the world, the world, the struggle of world power, the struggle of even within this nation, the struggle of our politicians. And really, what is it all about? What is it about? It's ultimately a struggle of morality, a struggle of right and wrong. What is right? What is wrong? We've completely lost our way, completely lost our bearings because we've left the Word of God. And the Bible talks about a time that will come. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in His day. Matthew 24 depicts for us conditions of a end time world. And if you go home tonight and you open Matthew 24, don't be surprised when you read the verses and you say, my God, we're living these verses. We are here. Around the world, struggle of power. Trying to levelize the field and reset. And I've heard all kinds of stuff. But I believe that it's an exciting time to live. Why is it exciting, Stephen? Because the Bible says, even Christ said this about prophets, that prophets, they prophesied of these days to come. They spoke that these days were going to come. He was talking about his time. But even more so, prophets spoke of these days that we are living in right now, 2023. It's no accident that you're alive tonight. It's no accident that you, we've been placed on the earth at this season. Dallas, we've been called into ministry in this season. That we might preach the gospel, offer men truth because I think it's the book of John, he said that there's a now it's day, but the night is coming when no man can work. That's the reason why I got my license to fly. That's the reason why I travel like a crazy person. Because the Lord is coming. Amen. He's coming. You bow your heads with me. Father, I just thank you, oh God. I thank you, Jesus, for your word. I thank you that it's rich and potent. That it gives me faith and hope that our whole system can fall apart, Lord, but my faith is not built 
on this system. My faith and my hope and my trust is built in Christ and the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, for these people. And Lord, if there's anyone in this building tonight that if you were to come, if that trumpet were to sound and the rapture of the church were to take place, oh God, and they were not ready, Lord, I pray that they would make it right tonight. On a Wednesday night, beginning of February, I ask you in Jesus' mighty name, and that's what I want us to do tonight with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Can we just soul search for a moment? If the rapture of the church took place, which is scarcely preached about in this generation, if Christ were to call the church out of here, would we find ourselves there? If all things begin to crumble, where would our hope be? I believe your pastor's been preaching on worry and hurts. This ultimately, when you're committed to him, kind of removes all of that because I live in his world. Father, I just ask you in Jesus' name, Dallas, if you'd come ask you in Jesus' name that you would just speak to us. John said, beloved children, abide in him. Dwell in him. Live in him. That when he appears, we won't, we will have confidence and not be ashamed of his coming. I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to run through a wall <laughs> or grab a shovel one. Hey, let's worship together as we close.